Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. So, we recently had a discussion on Speak for Yourself about why Steph Curry wasn't the face of the NBA. And then, because, I don't know, maybe I'm just a protagonist, antagonist, I brought it up again on Undisputed this morning. Now, when it comes to Speak for Yourself, when we first raised it, there was no debate among us, Marcellus Wiley, Emmanuel Acho, and myself, that he wasn't the face of the league. The only thing we disagreed on is why. Now, think about that for a second. So, I'm the NBA guy, primarily. Marcellus Wiley, all sports, primarily football, NFL, Emmanuel Acho, NFL, and all things Oprah. We all agreed. He's not the face of the league. There wasn't a debate there. Wiley pointed to the fact that it took him a long time to become one of the most dominant players in the league. My point was that for all of his accomplishments, he's never been the undisputed most dominant player in the league. Acho pointed to the fact that the kind of superstar Curry is is not the kind of superstar the general public, most fans equate with the face of a particular league or sport. He's the baby-faced assassin. There's nothing outwardly intimidating about him. He's a magician, beating opponents by sleight of hand and creating illusions. Now, little guys in a big man sport are hugely popular. Popular. It's the Seabiscuit versus War Admiral, David versus Goliath sentiment. Allen Iverson benefited from the same mindset. Big guys are admired. Little guys are loved. And if you want to say at any point that Steph Curry was the second most popular face of the league. I'm with you. I have no issue with that. His problem is that he was or came to the fore, had his most success at a time when LeBron James was in the league and going toe-to-toe with him from the Eastern Conference. And LeBron James simply had and has had a bigger footprint. Anyway, I thought we all made reasonable, cogent, fact-supported cases as to why Steph 
wasn't the face of the league. So I was somewhat surprised by seeing the reaction to our debate, which was primarily that our premise was all wrong. That, that the question shouldn't have been why he wasn't the face of the league, but if he was the face of the league, because there was a case to be made that he was. I read plenty of posts that said Steph Curry is the face of the league, with many people saying he's the only reason they watch the NBA, which I have to admit is a pretty compelling reason to believe he is the face of the league. Now, the popularity of Steph is not hard to figure out. First of all, he benefits from being a relatively normal-sized human being playing against giants in one form or another, and it's human nature to root for the underdog or the person who most looks like us. The reason we started to talk about it again with Undisputed this morning is because of Ja Morant and the question of, is he a candidate to become the face of the league? And I said he is for reasons I'll get into along the way or reasons that you'll understand. Number one, he's an American. For whatever reason, foreign player, foreign-born player, can't see him becoming face of the league. It hasn't happened. Not sure it's going to. And in much the same way with Steph Curry, he's an undersized guy, uh, a smaller guy doing big things against the Giants in the league. We just gravitate towards that. Now with Steph... He's an underdog in a lot more ways than just that. As, as again, is Ja uh, in, in terms of what went to Murray State, Ramblers, and had a nice little run in the NCAA tournament as the leader of a team, much like uh, Steph Curry. I mean, there's a lot of similarities between the two of them. The one distinction being that Ja Morant has a more explosive game. He's simply his highlight reel well, Steph Curry, tell me the next time he has an explosive dunk. I don't think it's happened yet. Now, the deep threes and the the magical ball handling, all of that, he's got that. You know who else has that? John Morant has that too. So anyway, that's why I made the case that John Morant has the chance to become the face of the league because he's playing at a time where LeBron and KD and Steph, all these guys are fading out as he's coming in. The only competition he has are basically foreign-born players, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Luka Doncic, and maybe Joel Embiid. And although we went to Kansas, also foreign-born player. Anyway, getting back to Steph and the reasons why I make the case that he isn't and hasn't been the face of the league. I mean, I could say because of LeBron and stop right there, but... I want you to understand why I feel the way I do about Steph. And there's an added element in terms of why I wish he was the face of the league. Now, as I said, in some ways he's been an underdog from the start. Not highly rated coming out of high school. Went to a mid-major college, Davidson. Overlooked by the teams he hoped to play for. The Knicks, specifically. Or the team he hoped to play for, the Knicks. And instead was drafted seventh by a Warriors team that had been to the playoffs once and had winning records only twice in the previous 16 seasons. And then he had ankle issues at the beginning of his career that at one point threatened to end his career prematurely. All of these things are the backdrop for what he ended up doing that makes him so beloved. Because Steph overcame all of that to win league MVP twice and three championships. Became the most 
prolific three-point shooter ever and arguably the league's best all-around shooter ever. And I only say arguably because naming anyone all-time when the time frame spans generations and decades is subjective. He's the best all-time shooter in my book, succeeding Steve Nash. The reason I took it for granted that Steph is not the face of the league, though, is pretty basic. He didn't lead the league in all-star voting this year. LeBron did. He isn't leading in jersey sales. LeBron is. Steph and the Warriors not making the playoffs the last two years hurts him as well, and hurts him in a way that does not hurt LeBron. Because if you look at the two teams, the Warriors and the Lakers right now, Steph certainly has a greater platform. He's on a better team, far better team than LeBron. And yet, the attention is all on LeBron. Now, LeBron is no longer the most dominant player in the league. I would give that to Giannis Antetokounmpo. But I don't know that NBA fans in this country will ever accept a foreign player as the face of the league. And for all that Giannis has done to this point, the fact that he's not even close, I mean, we're not even having this conversation about Giannis as the face of the league should say, should say something. LeBron remains the face of the league by default. I made the case in our conversation on SFY that Steph is not, not only is he not the face of the league now, but that he's never been. Now, he did lead jersey sales, and I thought it was once, but in looking it up, I believe there's four years where he led jersey sales. Uh, he's only led all-star voting once, and not those were not in the same year. So a case could be made at certain points that he was the most popular player, but that's different. And even the jersey sales, I don't know how many of those are being sold to adults would imagine a great number of those are being sold to kids. And then this gets into the question of, well, how do we determine what the face of the league is? And I believe that it's just the most people that when they think of the NBA, this is the person they think of. This is the person who represents the NBA to them. And as popular and as visible as, as Steph is, he simply isn't more popular or more visible than LeBron James. Now, I know he's the only player to ever be a unanimous pick as league MVP. I was one of the voters who picked him. But I can tell you I didn't vote for him because I thought he was the most dominant or all-around best player in the league that year. I did it because of the way he synthesized his abilities with the rest of the Warriors, that he was the most valuable piece of the most dominant team in the league that year. Kawhi Leonard was defensive player of the year that same season while leading the Spurs in scoring. Certainly was a worthwhile candidate. LeBron James was still a two-way dominant force. It would be wrong to interpret Steph being the only unanimous MVP selection as meaning that he was the greatest MVP ever. And I get the sense that there's a lot of people who look at it exactly that way. If the Warriors that year weren't seven games better than the next best team, he would not have been a unanimous choice. And Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala and the Warriors' number one ranked defense had a lot to do with the, de- the team's dominance. Steph was the leader, but he was also the beneficiary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The other argument I've heard by those who claim Steph is the face of the league is because he changed the game. I'm so tired of hearing that. It's become a common refrain and one that I simply don't agree with. The Warriors changed the game. They took the Phoenix Suns seven seconds or less offense, took it to another level with a point forward in Draymond as the point forward, and added a switching, suffocating defense to the equation. I'd say Draymond did as much to change the game as Steph did. And no, that's not blasphemy. That's just reality. I know everybody's in love with, oh, he's the first guy to shoot from 40 feet and take logo shots. Okay? Draymond's the one who made playing an undersized ball handling, playmaking, fast break, leading big, fashionable. He's the reason Kawhi Leonard evolved from what he was in San Antonio, which was basically a small forward. He's the reason LeBron is playing center. He's the reason Giannis Antetokounmpo is a two-time MVP winner and champion. Teams looking to mimic the Warriors' success didn't go out in search of Steph Curry's. They went looking for Draymond Green's. How many teams were out there looking for a point guard shooting from 40 feet. It's Trey Young. Yeah, and I know there's plenty of players now who shoot deep threes who are what? Luka Doncic playing what? Point forward. Ball handling big. Way too many fans and analysts are under the impression that shooting logo threes changed the game. That's getting mesmerized by the eye candy. Are deep threes more accepted now thanks to Steph? Sure. Are more kids at every level trying to launch step-back threes? Sure. If you want to say he added something to the game, I'm good with that. Change the way the game is played? Nah. The Warriors did that. Collectively. Fans stumping for Steph also point to what Tyron Lue said about the Cavs and their approach to playing the Warriors when the Warriors had Kevin Durant. Lue said that they looked double-team and blitz Steph more than anybody else, that stopping him was the focus of their defense. And for anybody who wants to utilize that information as a way of saying, you know what, everybody credits Kevin Durant. You wouldn't have won without Kevin Durant, which I believe is true. But Steph was really the driving force of those teams. Ah, you can take it. I'm, 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 I'm good with that. I think it gets a little nuanced, but I'm, I'm okay with that argument. But the idea that Steph was a more dangerous offensive weapon, and that's why he was double teamed. Let's consider first how well that worked. The Cavs won only one game in nine tries against the, the Warriors in the finals with Lou as their head coach and the Warriors when they had both Steph and KD. Second, there's a matter of practicality. With the Warriors... KD operated mostly from the mid post, where he could take one or two dribbles and get to the elbow or the baseline for one of his patented and deadly pull-up jumpers. 
It's one of the hardest places to double-team a player without giving up a back cut from the weak side or a wide-open corner three, all of which the Warriors were expert at. And at damn near seven feet tall, doubling KD didn't make much sense, unless you were doubling him with two bigs, because otherwise he could either pass out of the double-team easily or simply rise up and shoot a mid-range jumper. Double-teaming Steph because of his size, just made a whole lot more sense if you're going to double-team anybody. He's a wizard at beating double-teams by giving the ball up and cutting or relocating to get it back, but that requires a tremendous amount of energy. Wearing him down so that he wouldn't be quite as lethal from long range was a worthwhile strategy as well. Now, I say none of this to discount Steph's worthiness as the face of the league. The truth is, I wish he was, because how mu- of how much care and thought he puts into being as visible as he is. Over All-Star Weekend, while LeBron was randomly complimenting various GMs other than his own and musing about leaving the Lakers to play wherever he needed to play with his son Bronny several years from now, Steph was talking about the understanding, about understanding the impact of everything he says and does and the importance of not being careless with his words or deeds. LeBron, meanwhile, was left to once again, after the weekend, walk back those musings, acting puzzled that the media and fans took his comments as an indication that he was unhappy being a Laker, as if there was any other way to take it based on where the Lakers are. It was literally a perfect juxtaposition of how the two of them operate. I'm sorry, but I'm way past blaming the media for controversies involving LeBron. He has to know better by now. He has to know everything he does is going to be read or interpreted for a deeper meaning. I don't know how he couldn't. And if he doesn't want that to happen, then he should either fully explain what he's saying and stop with the cryptic social media posts or simply don't traffic in subjects that don't demand his public attention. Steph has never had anyone doubt his commitment to the Warriors. Even when he was surrounded by young players last year and having to make countless miraculous shots just to get them into the play-in picture last year. Look, there were plenty of people that were saying, should Steph go elsewhere? Is there, has their time run out? Can they refuel and reload in order to give him another shot to win a title? You never had Steph buying into that. You never had Steph musing about that. Name me a time when Steph has had to walk back something he said or claimed that he was misunderstood or something he said was taken out of context. You can't. Name me a time that Giannis has had to do that. Or Chris Paul. You can't. That's why. While I fully admit and concede that LeBron is indeed the face of the league, I wouldn't go so far as to say that having him as the face of the league is good for it. It just is. Several games ago, the Warriors lost to the Denver Nuggets before the uh, the All-Star break because of a defensive mistake that Steph made, leaving his man at the three-point line to double-team Nikola Jokic at the elbow. It was not a smart play whatsoever. First of all, Jokic demonstrating the same thing as I said about KD. <laughs> he was at the elbow. You're going to double-team him with Steph Curry? I'm not even sure he knew Steph was there. Also, the Warriors were leading by two, and the most Jokic could have done is tie the game. 
But what it did is left Monty Morris open to hit the game-winning three at the buzzer. That was Steph's man. Now, when Steph was asked about the play after the game, he went into great detail about the mistake he made. Sounds simple, but name me another great player in recent memory who has done that. I seem to recall Chris Paul saying something similar about one or two of his late-game turnovers, but that's about it. It's why the two of them have the impact they have as leaders. Steph's honesty and humility and willingness to take responsibility is why the Warriors are once more as good as they are despite not having Clay or Draymond for a good part of this season. For young players like Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole being committed to executing and doing the little things more than they ever have before and why Steve Kerr is able to hold everybody accountable. Because Steph holds himself accountable in a very public, transparent way. For all those who watch the NBA because of Steph, those who consider him their favorite player and want nothing more than to see him win another ring and capture his first finals MVP, I understand, respect, and appreciate that you feel the way that you do. You're not wrong for doing it. He is an outstanding ambassador for the game and the league. Just understand that you're not in the majority, at least not yet. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode took a lot out of me, and but more than willing to, to give it. I also have a very busy TV schedule this week. I'm on Undisputed every morning and I'm doing my usual speak for yourself uh, segments and so I don't know exactly what my next episode is going to be about there's a number of things that we've talked about on tv that I want to expand on much like this subject so I'm going to go to one of those not sure exactly what it is could be the Harden Embiid combination taking a look at that although I really want to wait until we see them play against the Cavs in the Heat this weekend before I get to that. But we've got an array of other things to talk about. And I will talk about one of them very soon, right here. But in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.